Roger hasn't been to band practice in a while. It's all right, buddy. Always time. <clears throat> Imagine a world. In some movies, right, you got that deep-throated guy voice who does a voiceover. Imagine a world. Imagine that your grandfather owned a beautiful farm. It was around 250 acres of good soil and rolling hills. It was perfect. Every summer you visited with others in your big and extended family, it was a magical place you couldn't, long, you couldn't wait to be at. <clears throat> then when you were, say, I don't know, 10 years old, your grandfather had broken his leg and couldn't work. Your grandmother and father and uncles tried to keep the farm going, but they couldn't. Uh, other things happened to add insult to injury, literally. There was drought. Financial markets got nervous. The banks called in loans. Crops failed. Debts rose. People who wanted your farm, evil men, longed to, who longed to buy it up in the past, saw your weakness and pounced without mercy, pressuring, conniving, and they took the farm. You had to sell. They lied and schemed about your father, convicted him of a crime he didn't commit, and innocently sent to jail. The same fate happened to others in your family who fought against the evil, but evil is prevalent, and they lost. And having no influence, they were ruined, some imprisoned. It seemed that in a blink of an eye, your family went from having a haven and a heaven to a dispersed disgrace. For all intents and purposes, it wasn't really much of a family anymore. 
the name may be survived, but then again it might not. Not many children are born to an ailing, diseased family tree, and your family started to peter out. So, you grow up, say you're in your 20s, your 30s, and on to greener pastures you go. But then something happens. You find out that your grandfather's farm is returned to him. Your father overcomes his or, or is released from jail. Your uncles, your cousins are released from jail. Well, they didn't commit the crime. <clears throat> Everyone in the family, dozens of people receive an invitation to the, in the mail to return to granddad's, granddad's farm for a family reunion. You return to the family farm full of nostalgia and memories, anticipating so much that you're jumping out of your skin. You drive up the familiar long drive to the main house, so fond of memories. You see your parents. You see your old granddad who's still somehow alive. And you wonder, how could it all be? You ask around, who raised all the millions of dollars to buy back the farm? <coughs> There's no, and they tell you, it's been returned. There's no more debt. The banks are gone. The creditors are gone. It's ours again. It all reverted back. The farm is ours. Your debt is zero. And you are home. <clears throat> Imagine that world where that happened all the time. Now imagine the same scenario, except the family who receives their farm back the same time that you do are your enemies. In this case, that family, uh, they, they made terrible mistakes. They made sinful, evil mistakes. And because of their mistakes, they squandered their money. They didn't work hard. They were terrible neighbors. And frankly, between you and the lamppost, you were really glad to see that they lost their farm. And yet they, at the same time you get yours back, they get theirs back. Can you imagine such a world where this happens to every family who, for whatever reason, lost all their possessions, went into slavery, and received them all back, received their freedom, received their property, and all their debts were erased? Can you imagine a nation that lived, existed, just like that. Is there such a place? There was supposed to be. What I just described to you in a more modern fashion is the year of Jubilee in Israel. Every 50 years, every seventh Sabbath, Sabbath year, property was returned to those who had lost it. Slaves were released. Debts were released. And nobody even worked. You weren't to sow or to reap that year either. Actually, every Sabbath year. We'll talk about that. And for those who lost their farms and their property working hard and just things went wrong, and for those who lost their property because they made sinful, evil decisions. Did God say only return the property to the good? No. Can you imagine? All the rich people who had bought up all of that land, you know, they took advantage of the poor people who could not sustain it, but they had the money and they bought it. And they amassed for themselves vast estates. At the end of the 49 years, guess what they had to do with that vast estate? 
Give it all back. And they all did gleefully. Not so much. We're going to see today that Jubilee is to be in our hearts every day. We're going to see what this is. Jubilee is really the, the apex of what we call Sabbath or Shabbat. Sabbath is God's rest. God's, it's not just doing nothing. It's God's blessing to his people, at which we're to share with one another. And we are to have Sabbath in our hearts every single day, which is God's rest in our hearts every single day. We are to have Jubilee in our hearts every single day. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But first, let's pray. Let's thank God for his Sabbath. Let's thank God for his rest, for his blessings, for his word that is going to reveal that to us. Let's bow. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who through his death has released us from captivity. He has returned to us all that we have lost. And where we lost it was in the fall. We ate of the fruit. We rejected you. And yet you restored to us not only what we lost, but you gave us more. You gave us far more. And right now in time, Father, we seek to you or from you the actual change in heart to the depth of our hearts of what it is that your true rest that, and that what that would be to each of us in terms of our living every day in your rest, in your blessing, and being changed through and through so that we do not depend on circumstances for happiness, but just on you, that we may be fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, for our Lord and Savior and for your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So, uh, in the year of Jubilee in Israel... Uh, it was a year, it was supposed to be, a year where everybody shared with each other. Uh, it was basically a return to the Garden of Eden in some ways. And everybody was to share with one another. And they were to rejoice, not just grudgingly, but everybody was to rejoice in sharing, in community, in fellowship of love. And that rejoicing God has given us in singing. We sing together. We sing in joyfulness with one another to the Lord for blessings that are beyond what we could think or imagine. So with that, let's all rise and let's sing.
today. Like I can't see. There we go. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me in that song is always something that sticks out to me in the song. The words are so perfect is your. Uh, everything belongs to God. Uh, that's what Sabbath is about. And that's, what, that's the reason we're using Sabbath as a background for this passage. James chapter 2 verse 1. So we looked at James all last week. Uh, we'll probably spend another week on him. But he writes, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, you pay attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, Sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, and you sit down by my footstool. And the little Greek preposition there that says by my footstool actually means under. It's hupa in the genitive, which means under. So technically, it's under my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, do not... Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name? Or sorry, do they, yeah, do they not blaspheme 
the fair name by which you have been called. So we see a scenario here, something that we've all seen and continue to see, certainly not a modern phenomenon, that a rich, influential person walks into a group, a church, anywhere, and people fawn over the rich. Why do they do that? Actually, when you think about it, why do they do that? Why do we do that if we do that? Do we admire them? Are we jealous of them? Do they just feel important? Does the pastor court them? Well, you know, his jacket pocket open a little, looking for a donation. But then standing right behind the rich man is the homeless guy who's come off the street. He's dirty. He smells. He's unshowered. He owns nothing but the clothes on his back. What is he doing here? Is he here to steal something? I hope he doesn't sit next to me. Do we see him as a lesser human being? Is he less worthy of redemption in the kingdom of God? Think about what I started with. To whom, did, to, to whom was the benefit of the Sabbath year in Jubilee? The, the person whose home looked like this, and those who make play favorites, this favoritism based on worldly materialism, have souls that look like that. This is what James is after. James is saying to us, look, you are born again, you are saved, you are of God, you are of heaven. What's that first line? Look again at, uh, who is our faith in? Look at verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means, this glory, where does this glory come from? Earth? Riches? Gold? Did he not have glory born in a manger, in a trough, in a probably a cave, in a nowhere place called Bethlehem amongst animals? Yet, when Caesar was born, the heavens didn't open up and angels sang. But when the Lord did, they did. His glory comes from heaven. So we find ourselves, or that, you know, the poor, as he says here, the poor have been chosen to be rich in faith. And does James mean that all poor people have been chosen and the rich people are not? No. No, not at all. But if you're a born-again believer, aren't you, in, in a lot of ways, aren't you poor? And James is making a distinction here between rich and poor, but what I really want James, I, I don't have him here to ask him, but what I really want James to be saying here is that, look, all of us are poor. Everything's relative. Everything's relative. Um, you know, all of us before God are poor. So uh, here's the reason that what we possess are the riches of heaven. Every born-again believer. You're not earning that. The moment you believed in Christ as your Savior, it was given to you. Paul's favorite phrase for us as believers is in Christ. That's his favorite phrase to describe the believer. In Christ. So what do you really possess? You possess Christ. And Christ possesses you. Christ is of heavenly glory. Paul would write that we're citizens of heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Where? In heaven. Where is our destiny? Heaven. Who indwells us? God. What are we? The temple of God. These are all our. And I, I could go on and on. I could fill up an hour with telling you what you are. 
And then now, as James is seeing here, and this is again, it's a very early church, it's the very beginning of the church, that people who possess the glories of heaven are impressed by earthly treasure. And James is like, look, put these two in the balance. Come on. Really? The glories of our Lord compared to money, things, homes, cars, whatever? Yeah, could you live in that and be rich, a, a spiritual billionaire? You could be the richest person in the world. That That's more property than Jesus owned. <laughs> he owned nothing. Here on earth, we find ourselves short-sighted. Short-sighted means that we don't see heaven. We don't see heavenly glory. And what James is doing here is pointing our eyes towards our glorious origin. To be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. What was Nicodemus' trying to grasp this? What, I go into my mother's womb again? He didn't, you know, Nicodemus is no idiot. He didn't think that's what Jesus meant. He's just like, that makes no sense. You want me to be born again? And he said, yes. Not born of the flesh. That's earth. Born of the spirit. That's heaven. And you and I have it. And we have it. And, you know, I'd, it'd be great. I get no, It wouldn't be because it, it, God didn't plan it this way. But in the moment you believed in Christ as your Savior, you became a citizen of heaven. You became in Christ. You're of heaven. Your destiny is heaven. And that, and that moment, it had changed your whole heart. The, the thing in here, not in here, this, this whole place where you... Um, affirm yourself, know yourself, you are yourself. That's you in your heart. That it would be changed into a heavenly, you know, the basis of heaven in which you would think and see everything from that perspective. From the moment of salvation, you'd be filled with joy all the time. And you're not. See, what God did was Say, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you to the core. Right? It's not, <clears throat> it's not remade again. It's born again. I'm going to make you a brand new creature in the image of my son. And then I'm going to invite you to discover it. And that, that changes a lot of things. Because if he's going to invite me to discover it, that means that I have to actually get active in discovering it. If it happened like that at the moment of salvation, then there's I have no participation, right? I'm just bam. I'm a, you know I'm a, I'll be a completely different person. But he he maintains what we are, and then he invites us to come and discover it. And when you're discovering something, especially over a long period of time of years. And especially discovering this, because you're not just discovering like the next trinket that Indiana, you know, you're not like you're kind of like a spiritual Indiana Jones, but in the movies, Indiana Jones just gets the next trinket, the next trinket, the next trinket. But you're discovering God Himself and yourself in God. And there's all along the way amazing discoveries. And 
what God has given us in His Word is to guide us in that discovery so we don't think, all right, we're going to go find God over there. Where's over there? I don't know, in Plato. We're going to go find God over here in nature. You're not going to find Him there. You'll see His handiwork and be impressed with it, sure. But you're not going to find Him. You know, I'm going to hug that tree all day. You're not going to find Him. I'm going to look at the stars every night. You're not going to find Him. Where are you going to find Him? In His Word. In His Word. And so James says, now in this section, look, James is telling us, don't be born again and live dead. Don't be alive and live dead. Right? Don't live like a dead person. Live like eternal life. And in this section, he's telling us that to do that, you have to be loving to your neighbor. And he's going to point out very plainly, just like the rest of the New Testament does, if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you are a liar. We'll say, well, come on now. My neighbor stinks and God is great. So, uh, the math does itself. No. Because love of God is not just attraction. It is an essence of God himself. God is awesome. And you will love him for his awesomeness. But the love of God is a lot deeper than that. The love of God is God. God is love. And if you don't love the poor, the dirty, the homeless, if you don't, we don't love, and God's love, we don't love them. We, James is very clear here that we don't love God. So, James, and the Word of God is going to tell us how. Uh, and so James is going to say, don't be just a hearer of the Word of God and say, yep, that sounds good to me. Uh, and not a doer. So he's going to challenge us, as God does, that we have to get out there and do it. We have to love. And when you don't love, you have to tell yourself, I'm going to love because it is what I was made for. I've been created by God to do this. And, you know, have this in, um, this confidence to know that since God is love, it's going to be terrific. Right? It's going to be wonderful. More than you know. God's not just giving us scare tactics here. James is going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to be judged. That's that's always a scary proposition to me. (laughs) And uh, and and you know all other things that are like that are more of an aggressive exhortation. There's plenty of that. But there's also the invitation that God says, "Look, come and do this, and you'll see something amazing." I know you think that it's better not to give and sacrifice in a divine love. I know there's a part of you that thinks that it's too much, it's too far, it's too much for me to handle. But God is telling us, come and do it. And take a shot at it. And know this, that I created you for it. So, uh, Jesus, again, his origin is pure holiness. They say there, infinite mercy, infinite grace. Why is this important? 
We pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Where? On earth as in heaven. My life is to be heavenly. My earthly existence, the heart that is in you, the invisible you. Someone said to me the other day that when God called from heaven, after Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, the dove came down, the Holy Spirit fell on him. And his father from heaven said, this is, my, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what? The, the humanity of the Lord Jesus comes out of the water of the Jordan River. And from heaven he gets an affirmation of who he is, what he is. And he gets an identity for all the world to hear. You know, if someone came up to Jesus at that moment and said, ah, you're just Jesus. You'd be like, did you just hear that? I came from heaven, dude. I am the Son of God <laughs> in whom He is well pleased, right? I, this is God. God has said this to all of us because we're in Him, right? Your sins are forgiven, all of them. You're in Christ. God has given you, even says in Revelation, that He's given us a new name. Technically, I'm not Joe Shigru. I'm somebody else. Well, I'm him, unfortunately. But when I'm done with him, <laughs> you know, it's going to be something greater. It's, this is what James is after, this newness of life. And a lot of we can say as Christians that we have this newness of life and say, thank you, God, and go about our oldness of life. And never really attempt newness of life. So, such a splendid origin here means that we have a choice. Uh, the origin is Christ, and it makes, you know, if you have him, any earthly wealth and glory appear drab and worthless by comparison. And that's true. So, let's pause and reflect on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was, let's go, the weekly Sabbath was every Saturday, right? It was a day off. Is that what it was? Day off. Time to do nothing. Not really. As we know, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel took the law of the Sabbath, and they added hundreds of extra rules to it. And what they made it into, and Jesus said this, the Sabbath was not created by man, but for man. What, what does that mean? It means that God gave us rest. Rest doesn't mean do nothing. And actually, we know this. Everybody here in this room is old enough to know that an excessive life of uh, an excessive sedentary life where you don't do anything is horrible for your soul. It's one of the worst things you can do for yourself is to do nothing. We wither up and die. So what Sabbath is about is blessing. That's what Sabbath is. It's the blessing of the kingdom. So where's the first Sabbath? God creates for six days and he rested on the Sabbath. After he was the seventh day, he rested. And people who don't understand this say that why did God, you know, he's omnipotent. Why did he need a rest? Like he was tired. But after God had formed perfect creation out of chaos, 
he gave man a blessed place, Eden. And in Eden, what did we do? Did we work in Eden? Yes. Yeah, we did. Had to toil. Uh, but we had to till the soil, not toil. Toil comes after. Till the soil and protect it. We were told to maintain it, which is the Hebrew word also means to protect in a way. In other words, Adam and the woman were to eat to their heart's content, except for one tree, <laughs> and, and, and to till it and to work it and to enjoy the Lord. And, um, yeah, there it is. That's rest. They weren't just sitting around, you know, twiddling their fingers. No, they had each other. This is wonderful. But then we ate and we lost it and we ruined it. Right? We ruined our rest. At the fall, our ability to rest in a perfect creation was ruined. Both we and the creation were ruined. But God determined, therefore, more work to be done. And the work that needed to be done was to become a man and to give us rest again. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. So I can't go back there. Long walk back to Eden. Can't go back there. But what I can do is enter something better. What God gave to us, see, see at, the, at like the year of, uh, Sabbath year was every seven years. Jubilee was every seven, seven years. So that's 49 years. Uh, and at that time, in those years, you didn't plant, you were not to plant, and therefore didn't reap. So you would work your tail off for six years. But you knew it was coming. Year seven, I don't have to do it. It's a whole year off. We say, well, oh, that's great. God gave us a year off. Yeah, but we still all have to eat. And we still have the poor and, uh, and, the, poor, and the poor rich who had just had to give back all their land. And, uh, and, you know, and they're, they're kind of angry. But, you know, but still, all of us poor who got it land back and got set free and rich who lost a lot of some of their riches at least. And we all have to exist together as God's people. And if we're going to... Not, now, we're not to just survive in the Sabbath year. We're to thrive. And to do that, we have to give to one another. We have to share with one another. In the Sabbath year, basically Israel was a wide open field. And if, now you couldn't reap, so you couldn't like bring your, your uh, horse and buggy over and like take all the crops that grew. Nobody planted, so the crops that did grow just grew, you know, accidentally, but there would have been some. And there would have been leftover from the year before. God promised if they were faithful, on year six, he would give extra. So even though you didn't plant on year seven, year six, God said, would give you three years of produce. So you're covered. And you have all that extra. People roaming around. You could go into my field and pick apples if you wanted. You know, it's, it was open. It was open. In, in other words, we shared. Now, remember, the early church shared everything in common. What are we to do? Share everything in common. Give to one another. Serve one another. But we, we don't wait for a Sabbath year to do this. For us to be gracious, to be kind, to be merciful, to not 
to not be uh, what, what's the word that uh, James uses here? Um, uh, come on, distinctions, uh, playing favorites. You know, we're not doing we're not to do that uh, because we see everyone as a brother and sister in Christ. Whether you have a lot, whether you have a little, whether you're old or you're young, you're male or female, doesn't matter. Right? And by that, what God has given us is a Sabbath. But to be lived every day. And that gives peace. That's what it is. Rest and peace. That's what James is after in this section. So given to Israel now, back years ago, the Sabbath was more than just a token. It was to be holy. The Sabbath was to be holy. It was one of the Ten Commandments that you were to keep it as holy. Holy means that it was God gave it as a time for you to enjoy the blessings of God and not have to work. So you enjoyed the blessings of God. You shared the blessing of God with others. And it was a reaffirmation of the covenant. Covenant that Abraham to Abraham was promised through you. All the families of the earth would be blessed. To you, all this land would be given. To you, the, your descendants would be forever. What does this mean? It means that God is going to give and give and give. And he's going to bless you. Now, it doesn't mean he's not, you're not going to do anything. It just means, is like fast forward to the Gospels where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, wear. Don't worry about your toil. I take care of the lilies. I'll take care of you. So, but you still have to seek something, right? Seek first his kingdom. Psalm 95. Here's how the Israelites did. Psalm 95, 10 and 11. For 40 years I loathed that generation. Imagine God says that about somebody. I loathed that generation and, and said, They are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly they shall not enter into my rest. Right? So we, we have way more. We have way more than they ever could have dreamed. Can we throw this rest away? You know it. When's the last time you sat around all worried, bothered, pressured, overwhelmed, angry, scared? And yet, you're a possessor of heaven? Now, am I condemning you in this? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just a voice, not the voice. I am a voice in the basement. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. I'm in the basement. And the voice. I, I have it too. I get afraid. I get worried. I get angry. I have anger issues. And I know that God is working these things in us. Who's really going to change this in you? Now, I'd heard this for years, and I couldn't, under, I couldn't wrap my mind around it, because when, when I was told from the pulpit that God is going to change this in you, I thought, well, I'm, I'm ready. But it's not like a haircut. 
There is something that you have to do. James brings it out. You have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Right? A hearer says, yeah, I know, I heard. God's going to change me. The Holy Spirit's going to change me. God's going to change me. I've heard it. Are you doing it? And to do, it's scary, right? It's scary. It's like, I don't want to take that step. I, I, it's so uncomfortable for me. But say, think about it. What have you been? You want to remain comfortable in the scared, worried person? Are you comfortable? You're not. You say, I don't want to change. Isn't that we're so bizarre as creatures? It's because we're, we're uh, dialectic. I don't even know if that's a word. It sounds right. It sounds fancy. We have two, there's two people in here. There's the old nature and the flesh. I, <laughs> I, was, I was praying to God this morning and just get overwhelmed by his by things that you know that he is, and I'm like, God, I, you got to stop. I can't handle it. It's like my head's gonna explode. You're too much for me. I, I'm, I'm no spiritual champion. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the things I discover about him, I can see in myself that I'm so limited that I almost want him to stop because I'm so used to being scared. Can I be a little scared? It's comfortable. Can I be a little worried? God's like, oh, I've got so much more for you. So fortunately, he changes us slow. But we can take too much time because then you're going to be dead. And the race is over. So this uh, psalm truly gets to James's theme. Notice the promise. This is a promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. By the way, we are recipients of this covenant. Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah in 31.25, For I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. I will give you rest. So look at James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is not the rich the one who oppresses you? And then he drags you into court. Then he says in verse 7, Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? The fair name. Whose name? You know, in context, it's the Lord. It's blasphemed. What's in a name? With God, it's everything. It's his essence. It's his his person. And you and I, Christians, we possess that name. And so, we're to be, and that name comes from heaven, and we're to be heavenly. Verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Transgressor. <clears throat> Partiality. All right. For what reason? Now look, we have to be honest here. We are partial to people. All right. Like I, I'm, I'm a much more of a fan of, you know, like my wife than I am of others. 
um, and so on. You know, we, we are partial. We love, we have deep relationships with some we don't have with others. But this is not what James is at all referencing. James is referencing the fact that we're looking at people in terms of earthly status. And because of that status, rich, poor, good-looking, ugly, you know, dirty, clean, whatever, that male even could be any, male, female, it could be a racist, white or black. And you are judging them or putting them in categories based on earthly status. And James's point is, is like, is heaven like this? Can you imagine Jesus being like, ooh, a rich guy? The one who created the heavens and the earth? Come on. But that aren't we? We are to be him. We have been made to be like him. That's a day-by-day process. It it makes every day super exciting because every day you are reaching more and more towards that goal. So we go back to the Sabbath year. Can you imagine this? Now, Sabbath year is every seven years. And every seventh year, you didn't sow. All right, so you come out, you sow uh, in the fall. Tom, you're a farmer. <laughs> fall. <laughs> I should have. I'm like should have looked this up before I uh, taught this message. Um, my parents were farmers. They were in Ireland. They like fished and milked cows and drank beer. So <laughs> they're from Ireland. Um, no sowing or reaping. So this this year comes, and you don't have to do it. Slaves are released. Now, what they had in Israel, they did have slavery in Israel. But it was an indentured thing. If you, if you owed somebody money, what would generally, because everything's agricultural. If you owed somebody a large sum of money, you could borrow or, or on, you know, on credit, get seed to plant and say, I'm going to have a bumper, hopefully I have a bumper crop this year and I'll be able to pay you back. And that's what would happen. Uh, but say your crops failed. Now, it could be for a number of reasons. You could have been lazy. You could have been terrible at it. Or there could have been a drought. You know, the Midianites came in and, and slashed it all and burned it, whoever, right? It could be any reason. You can't pay it. Now you become a slave to the one that you owe. And you got to work for him. All right. But here's the thing. After six years of working for him, you get to go free by the law of God. And if you want to stay, you know, you say, this farming gig of my own is, you know, I'd rather be with you because you're awesome. They pierce your ear. You get a fancy little diamond ring. No, you don't. You don't get that. They pierce your ear. They put your ear against the wall, uh, against the doorpost. They put a, put a hole in it. And you would be a bondservant by choice. It's a wonderful doctrine from the Old Testament because that's what we are to Christ. Bondservants. By choice, we serve him. So you're released. So you don't, you don't, you don't languish in slavery thinking, I'm never going to get out of this. And then debts are cleared. So we must be kept. This, is it a welfare system? No, you have to work. You have to work your tail off. But you get a break. 
And this speaks of, now this is prophetic as well because this speaks of what is coming for all of us. We're going to be in heaven. And it's going to be like Jubilee every day. As we work in toil here, this toil will be over. Right? So what is God telling us in the Sabbath year in Jubilee? Don't fret. Don't fret. It'll be over. Can you go a little more? Like, yeah, Lord, I can go a little more. And as you go and as you work my fields, the Lord says, his fields are here. Really, his fields are the souls of others. And your own. This has got to grow first. But as you change and your heart truly changes into conformity with who God has made you to be and you start to really figure out what life is, then you start to really produce fruit in life. And it's a fruit that is not based upon materialism. If you have it, great. But if you do, you'll be gracious with it. You won't be conceited. And that, that is what God has for all of us. But again, like I said before, we've got to reach for it. We've got to follow it. It's not going to force us on it. He's going to lead us. He's going to grab us by the nape of the neck at times. He's going to slap us over the face at times. He's going, and, and other times gently lead us. But for each one of us, he knows there's a different formula that's going to get you and going to get me to the place where we actually see. It's different. There's no one formula for any person. But God knows every one of us what we need. So as Jesus said, you need faith. And the faith can't be in something wrong. It has to be where faith can only be. In Him. Can the Lord of glory do this? Yes. All right. How much faith do you need, He said. Mustard seed. Because it's right. It's the right faith. So it, when a mustard seed, what is a mustard seed will grow. Right? It starts off small, but it'll grow. But it's got to be put in the right soil. And the right soil is a heart that is faith, has faith. And though I failed a million times, I have to do this. You know, I've got to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. I have to do this. I have to do what God has called me to do. So in the Sabbath year, there's the hope. There's relief. No matter how much labor loomed over you, if it was, now if you had your year off last year, you're probably raring to go this year, and you're super sick and tired of it by year five, and you're like, ah, oh, just one more year. And then you're back again. It's a great picture of our lives. Don't despair, God says. I know how much you can take. I'm not going to push you too hard. But I am going to push you hard. Thank God he pushes us hard. <clears throat> a great picture of our current life that God has given us these current promises that we can rely upon knowing this is one of the I, mean, I just said it one of the 
in my mind, I said, this is one of the wonderful benefits of eternal life, as if, you know, there's, there's only one. Um, is to know that, look, I'm a saved person, and I, I cannot lose what I have. So it was a time, again, enjoyed of sharing and not doing. So Israel, and it says in Deuteronomy 15, God says, if you do this, you will have no poor people. I didn't know. I didn't even know he said that. I just read that for the first time the other day. I read through Deuteronomy a few times. I must have missed it. But he said, you know, no poor people. And then like two sentences later, he says, the poor will be with you always. That Jesus repeated. I'm like, now this is God talking. Like, right? You just said there'd be no poor. But he said, yeah, there'd be no poor if you did this. Every year, every Sabbath, every Sabbath year, every Jubilee, if you did this, the poor would be gone. And then he said, take care of the poor. They're always going to be with you. Why? You're not going to do it. In Second Chronicles 36, the Lord said that he put Israel in captivity so that the land would rest because they did not give it its Sabbath rest. He said to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, you would go in to Babylon. And they went for 70 years. So that means at least 70 Sabbath years were not obeyed. They didn't do it. We have to be careful because we have to do this. So look at verse 8, James 2. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, here it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Say, well, wait a minute. That's Old Testament law. Ah, this is universal law. Now, James already said back in, pardon me. All right, uh, verse 5 again. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So there's the love of God. And then in verse 8, the love of your neighbor. So we have the two royal laws here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. Now, is that an Old Testament point? No, it's, James is writing it to us as believers. So we'll put a pin in that. And he said, do, uh, for he said, do not commit adultery. He also said, the one who said that also said, don't commit murder. Now, what's great is, as James is writing to Jews in the early church, of course, they're all on board with don't commit murder. I would say so are we. So, yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. We don't commit murder. We don't commit adultery. If you commit adultery and don't commit murder, are you a lawbreaker? Yes. If you say, well, I didn't commit adultery, but I did kill that guy, you're still a lawbreaker. What James is saying here is you're saying, I didn't kill anybody and I have never committed adultery. But have you been partial to people because of material possessions? What James is saying, you're a lawbreaker. And he's getting to a point here. It's something that has actually pervaded Western Christianity for a long time. 
is that we have this standard of God that we've lowered and we've said that's good enough. You've heard the people say, I haven't killed anybody. I've heard that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Giving people the gospel and they're like, hey, hey, God, I'm going to heaven. I haven't killed anybody. Like that's the criterion. (laughs) Um, But we've taken the standards of God and lowered them. And if if you, what, what God is telling us is, look, if you lower my standards, you're never going to see my life. Because what, the standard you've chosen, my life doesn't exist at that level. My life isn't a compromise. Can you imagine Jesus lowering his standards? So, And that's what James is getting at here. Look, don't hold these laws that are You know, for you, you might even be proud that you keep them. I don't think any of us are proud that we're not murderers, but, you know, there's probably something in your life that you do fairly well that you're proud of. And and when you focus on your proudness of that thing that you do well, and, and bravo for doing it well, you neglect the things that you don't do at all. And say, I don't have to look at those. And that's what's so wonderful about the Word of God. Because it forces you. If I keep, see, if I keep coming back to the Word of God, I'm going to get hit with this stuff. Maybe not every time, but I am. So what a lot of people do. You, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. I grew up Catholic. When I, when I became a born-again believer, I started evangelizing my family. And, you know, we had the, the old King James Bible that weighed about 150 pounds somewhere in the house. I'd be like, let's go look at the Bible. And they'd be like, no! Like, demons are going to fly out of it if we open it or something. Like, they just didn't want to look in. And I understand why. Isn't it easier to be ignorant? Just tell myself everything's fine. When it might not be. And so here's the thing, right? You say, well, I, I'm going to fool myself that everything's fine. You will find out that it's not. Why? The worry, the fear, the anxiety, the self-doubt, the unhappiness, the misery, the lack of strength, the feeling that I'm not whole, I'm not fulfilled, Is this what God has for me? This life? I tell you, no. No. So there was one... So we didn't do really Jubilee all that much. Jubilee's the crown. All year, everything was reverted back. So you could, and generally, you know, it was every 50, 49, the 49th and 50th year, everybody got their land back. Something else. And, you know, God is doing many things here. There's, there's many layers to it. But the, the overarching theme is of the Sabbath itself. God blesses. And God says, you know, if, I, if I'm the, the, the land barren, you know, I may be wheeling and dealing, 
and I'm looking around for the farms that are failing. And I know I'm going to snatch them up. I'm going to have mass, vast tracts of land. And then Jubilee comes, and I've got to give it all back. And I'll be like, is he really watching? Because I ain't going to. And a lot of them didn't. And they suffered. Right? You know, it's not, it's not right away. It's not the bolt of lightning comes down. We'd all be singed cinders right here in our seats if the bolt of lightning came immediately. But God is patient, and, and he, in my opinion, He wills for us to discover our need for change on our own. But we, none of us get away with a thing. And, um, and so in this year of Jubilee, on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement is every year. That's the day that the one day that the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and sacrifices, brings the blood on the mercy seat. He only goes in there once a year. And that's for the sins of all the people. The Day of Atonement is a celebration of the Messiah's completed redemption for all His people. And that happens every year. But on the year of Jubilee, there's something special that happens on the Day of Atonement. They blow the ram's horn. I was there. That one right there uh, is my prop. I'm not. I can't do it. I'd have to get Chris. But and this thing still. Yeah, it smells like a ram's. You know what? Okay, it's real. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna do. But uh, it's it's hard to play. But anyway, they would. All day, on the Day of Atonement, all over Israel, this is what you would hear. Every 50 years. And you, can you imagine that you, were, you lost your farm years and years ago? And you finally got it back. And you've been on the farm a few months. And you can't believe it. You were a slave. You had debts up the wazoo. You had no, no place to live. You're back in your own house. You're back in your own bed. Your debts are gone. And here comes the day. All of a sudden, you hear horns everywhere. What does it mean? And that's, where, that's what the Lord's Supper is. Let's do that. Let's pass out the elements and uh, celebrate our Lord's Supper together. And, um, and then we'll, we'll wrap that up.
So, again, why did they get their land back? God willed this because humanity would be redeemed and get their lives back. Uh, We fell from the garden, and it is only through the blood of Christ that we can be and are redeemed. The death of Christ is, and the resurrection of Christ is the gospel. The gospel has come to all humanity, proclaiming the good tidings, the wealth of salvation, that spiritual blessings are inherited by the believer, and the church will, will enjoy an eternal Sabbath of rest released from this world, released from sin and death. And that is an eternal jubilee. By Christ giving His life, He has given us the jubilee of the future and eternity and He has given us the spiritual reality of jubilee in our hearts right now. To be filled with the Spirit is to, to sing, to rejoice, to sing. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be filled with the Spirit. Be joyful. Serve one another. It's a Sabbath every day. If you possess the very glory of Christ and you're a believer... If you are a believer, you do. And then there is nothing in this life, including physical death, that should frighten you. Every good thing in this life, up to exceeding joy, should be experienced in Christ by every one of us. We must grab hold of it knowing that it is our birthright and settle for nothing less. No superficial facades, no forms of godliness. Those only fool us. It has to be lived And if we don't go for it, we have to go for it. We have to give our whole life to God as Christ gave it for us. Then we will, if we do not, we'll fail to see that or him in this life. If you haven't committed your life to this very purpose, you're forgiven. You need to know that. Do not quit on it. You're forgiven. Your life is remitted to you. You have a fresh start. Every morning, in fact. Confess, repent, until your land again. Find the treasure that's buried there. Right? Didn't Jesus describe the kingdom of heaven as treasure buried in a field? And the man who knew it was in that field gave everything that he had to buy that field. Because it's precious. It's the most valuable of things. When my heart changes into conformity with Christ, nothing else will matter. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I got the job, whether I got the, you know, it won't matter. You will take everything that comes to you by the will of God, just like Christ did. And in that is really what a Sabbath is. You'll be free. So plant the seed now. Plant it in the right soil, that mustard seed. And know with hope that it will grow. Give it time, but pursue it. It is the most valuable thing that you do. Leviticus 25, you see on the board? The land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners. And I love this. Not apart from me, but with me. You are aliens and sojourners with me. So the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. 
And he gave thanks to the Father. And he said, this is, he handed it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our great Lord, let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and again he gave thanks and praise. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord and his work. Let's finish. Let's drink the cup together. The Lord Jesus have given us this ceremony, this ritual, so that we never forget why we have what we have. When the horn was blown on the in the year of Jubilee, on the Day of Atonement, no one in Israel could forget. Well, I mean, I guess they could try or they could ignore it, but they weren't to forget the whole reason why this happened. If God promises us future glory and says, you know, you guys should rest and you guys should be happy and this and that, and you you should live like you're in Eden again, the promised land, so to speak. If he says all that and he doesn't pay for our sins, if he doesn't cleanse us, there's no point to it. It's just a bunch of hot air. But with redemption, then we actually have it. When Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, he gave it to us. He took our place. And by taking our place, our sins are all forgiven. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your Lord, our Lord, your Son. And thank you for all that you have given us through him. Thank you, Father, for our assembly, our gathering, and for all here who have heeded your word, who have listened, and who have believed, who know in their hearts, Father, that you have a plan for them, a plan that is far greater than any earthly thing, a plan that is from heaven itself, a plan of joy and greatness in you, a plan in which we do great things but give you all the credit. It's a plan in which you change our hearts at the, at the core of them so that we become in our experience what you have made us to be in Christ. What a blessing, Father, that you have bestowed upon us who deserve nothing, and yet you have done it by your love. May we, Father, receive that love through Jesus Christ our Lord who has died for the sins of the whole world. And anyone who believes upon him will be saved. He has completed the work fully and died for the sins of the whole world. How that felt for him, it, we cannot fathom. But yet he hung there and took it until all were paid for. Until it was finished. Through Him, Father, and Him alone do we have eternal life. To anyone listening to my voice who has not made the decision to believe upon Him, I beg you to please consider and believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you do, 
you will have eternal life. We thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. I would just take our offering and 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 that's it. That's the end of our programming. All right. And if anybody thank you, Roger. Good to have you back, Roger. <laughs> if anybody wants to play the Ram's horn, it's here. You could play for the offering. <clears throat> Let's just pray for our offerings. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priests. We give in your glory to your honor. And may these finances be used to the communication of truth to those who need it. In Christ's name, amen. Alan, you ready? Cue it up. By the way, in this song, when you hear that banging, that's an actual air conditioner. An, um, uh, a fire extinguisher, not an air conditioner. They're hitting a fire extinguisher. Thank you, everybody. You're dismissed.